Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane. My goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and joining me to talk about the Celtics' rousing Game 3 victory over the Philadelphia 76ers is Alex Kungu. What's up, Alex? I appreciate that, but we'd be, we'd be <laughs> up uh, 3-0 on Toronto right now, just, just for clarification. Wait, it's the second round, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, we got to talk about the draft because there's a global pandemic going on. What's up, Alex? Okay. Yeah, man, I'm feeling good. Feeling great. I'm happy to still talk about basketball and stuff like that, even during these trying times. No, absolutely. Man, these, these trying times, there's your drinking game. There you go. There's your first mention. <laughs> but no, you, so we're like talking, we're setting up the episode, we're DMing, and you just hit me up with, it was like, I got, I got a lot of thoughts about your teams. So what, what are your thoughts? about the Detroit Pistons, Alex? Well, it's just, I just look at your team and I see, like, so much hope and potential to, like, really just completely shift all the negative vibes, all the negative energy, all the bad contracts. Like, you just finished paying Josh Smith. You don't got to think about him no more. Like, you have all this money coming up. You have these, like, intriguing young pe- young pieces. You have a nice pick coming up this year, most likely a nice pick coming up next year. You have, like, the foundation to, like, really just, like, shift and create a young, exciting team that, like, the Detroit Pistons fans are just ready to embrace. So I've kind of, like, I went through everything. I kind of made, like, a little checklist of what I would do personally this offseason. It's like, I just want to talk about Pistons. I, I feel excited for your future, personally. I don't know. I, I like this because it is it is real dark right now, but it's always darkest before the dawn. So what's the what's the first thing on the checklist then? Okay. The first thing on my checklist is to fire Dwayne Casey. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Why why so, is it the first thing? Like I can understand that being on okay. the list. But okay. why is that the first thing? That's that's a good question. I I the reason I say it's the first thing is because I think when you're about to just go in a completely different direction as a franchise and like completely just I feel like when you brought Casey in, it was like you still had uh, Drummond and Griffin, still trying to do that experiment. You still had Reggie Jackson. You still had some vet pieces. It was still like playoffs as a goal type of mentality. And I think that's what you brought him in for, and that's kind of like where I see him as a coach, like somewhere that can like like you can work with one of these like mid to lower tier playoff teams like you did in Toronto. I think now when you start going into the rebuild stage and you're trying to like create this whole new kind of, like, vibe and energy and culture around your young players, uh, you don't need a coach who's telling, you know, your lottery pick to get laid more. I think you need someone <laughs> that's – I think you need someone, honestly, that's, like, young, is has a developmental background, you know, and he could just be able to just, like, reshift the focus and, like, 
they would just be okay just playing the young kids and developing them. So personally, that's how that's why I think that needs to be like the first thing because it all starts at the top. I think as little as NBA stars make to see make coaches seen, um, I think during a developmental spot when you're still kind of coming up, I think that's the best time to like really like rely on your coach. And I just wouldn't want to stay Dwayne Casey for that job personally. Okay, so I do not disagree with where you are coming from. I have openly wondered whether or not Dwayne Casey even, like, still wants this job, if he had, like, another job lined up, if he would still take this job, because this is not the job he took, right? Like, his job was to, you know, make a Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond core, like, make the playoffs for the next three seasons. Like, that job's in the past. So, like, no, I, I agree with you from a philosophical perspective. But, you know, my my thinking around that has always been that, um, like, I don't know if I want to introduce, like, more instability during this time. Uh, that I thought that, like, before all the stuff that's happening in the world was happening, um, Casey appeared to be a pretty good coach for the rebuild. He seemed to really have a great influence on – some of the young guys. I'm thinking of, like, Christian Wood in particular, right? Like, okay. we all knew Christian Wood was, like, really talented coming into the season. But it is truly my belief that the work that Dwayne Casey made Christian Wood put in in the preseason, you know, early in the year, you know, not just handing this immensely talented dude stuff because he's immensely talented. Like, I truly believe that made Christian Wood, like, a better player. And so I do – have appreciation for that philosophy, but like that philosophy very much did not work on Seku Dumbuya, right? And so right. I, I'm torn between the two. So I understand, again, I understand why this is on the list. That wouldn't be the first thing I do I did, but I understand why it's on the list. So give me some of these like sexy assistant coaches that you would replace them with though, because that's yeah, the other thing, it. right? Like this is I Detroit. This is Detroit. This is not a major job. This is a rebuilding team. This is not going to be a glamorous job. So, like, who who is going to come take this job from Dwayne Casey? Okay. I'm going to start off with some spice off the top. Number one, Jerry Stackhouse. Stackhouse might have a little bit of animosity towards Detroit. You know, they traded him before they went on to win the chip. He felt like he, he felt like he built some of that coming up. But I think just being able to take a job like that from Dwayne Casey, who did not like him on that coaching staff and kind of, like, made things uncomfortable for Stackhouse, would be – Extreme spice, and I also think he's a good coach. Just you know, for the record, I think he won at he he won at the G League level um, in Toronto. Um, he proved to be a good guy on the sidelines. He's in college right now and, did, and played really well. I mean, culturally well, not played coach culturally well at Vanderbilt. In fact, I think he's probably the lo- like one of the main reasons why a prospect called Aaron Naismith, I'm sure you guys are familiar with, got as much is getting as much buzz as he did. Because despite only playing 14 games that year, Stack had him running so many NBA sets that it's just so easy to visualize how his role is. And it helps Naismith so much because he's just going to have that role coming in and has already been acclimated to that. Um, so I think a guy like him will work really well because he has that developmental background. Just kind of coming in with a clean slate and a fresh team and just allowing him to kind of like put in his principles. Um, another option I had was Sam Cassell. Uh, Sam Cassell gets a lot of good reviews around the NBA. Um, I think he's right now he's right now he's still working for the for the Clippers. So 
you know, they they win a championship or they come out and make some, you know, him to look for him to look at something else. He's a point guard, you know, so depending on who you guys pick, whether that's someone like Lamelo or Killian Hayes or something like that. Um, especially if you do another thing, like maybe trade back and get Carol Lewis, that's another guy like you'd probably want him, you know, on on his side, on your side. Did Castell uh, get moved down the bench when they added Ty Lue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that would be that would be a reason for him to leave a championship contender in the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. yes, that's very true. Um, you could go. Okay, I'll just give two more names. I have like ten. I'll give you two more names. One, Becky Hammonds. Just it's it's a flashy pick. It is like it'd be the first woman head coach. Um, she did she did move up, uh, Pop's coaching ladder, but it was kind of weird that when Pop actually didn't come, he let Tim Duncan be the coach instead of her. I thought that was a little weird. But, you know, she's she's been getting getting a good rep around the league. It'd be like a pretty big deal. I don't know if that's a good that's a good type of attention or not, but I think from the stuff I've heard about her, she's pretty cool. And last one is David Vanderpool from Portland. Um, he did a lot of the work and a lot of like the developments with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and now you see a little bit of with it with Anthony Simmons. That's kinda like Specialty working with a combo guard. So again, you pick someone like Killian Hayes, he might be like the perfect coach to coax the best out of him. And um, yeah, I do have some other names, but I think going going the route of that developmental coach would be how I would go with it. That was the difference. I like I like Stack. I know less about Sam Cassell. Just you know, whatever his tendencies are as a coach, I remember him more as a player than a coach. So I'd be Curious to see what uh, you know stylistically he would envision would would be best for this team. I like Vanterpool a lot. Um, Vanterpool was one of the guys I had my eye on when Stan McNundy got fired because I thought he was ready to to step up uh, into like uh, a ready-made team, but clearly they didn't think that was the case. Um, and Hammond would be interesting. I think I agree with you that it's weird that um, well, not it's like weird, but also slightly expected that Duncan is just kind of the the guy, the coach in wait in San Antonio. And I don't know how comfortable she is or isn't with that. Uh, we do know she can coach. We've seen her coach, like, in summer league, and we've seen her coach for, like, multiple years at this point in the NBA. So we know she's a good coach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would I, also, yeah. I would also yeah. ask Becky, this, this is the type of opportunity where if she was going to coach, it would be now, like, in the middle of a rebuild. Because mm-hmm. I personally don't think, like, it would work that well with just NBA veterans who do not value their coaches at all. Like a, no, a vet heavy roster would be a tough, tough thing to swallow. But young kids that are still kind of in, kind of in the league and don't necessarily know what's going on, she I feel like that that that'd be her best chance of success as well. All right, all right. So we got rid of Dwayne Casey. I don't know who we replaced him with. What what's point number two? What's next on the list? So obviously you got to bring back Christian Wood. And um, I also think you should bring back Lance and Galloway, but I don't know how the fan base feels about Lance and Galloway. But I think he was one of your rare guys who could actually hit the three at a, you know, at a, a, a respectable clip. And I think the things you saw from Christian Wood and just his, like, I mean, it, the Christian Wood story is actually really crazy because wasn't he, like, like this summer, I swear, like, people were wondering if Joe Johnson was going to make the team over him. That was a thing, right? And now that suddenly, was a, yes, that was a legitimate concern coming <laughs> into the season. Yes, it was like, wow, look at Joe Johnson. Now he's about to. T- oh, it's like Christian Wood. 
And now it's like this like young piece where it's like, yeah, Detroit needs to bring him back. He has a chance to be a, like a core member of their of their of their team. So All I feel right. like so the question the question uh-huh. isn't like bringing back Christian Wood. It's like how much are you willing to pay to bring back Christian Wood? Okay, okay. So I'm thinking because like you kind of want to pay you kind of want to pay for potential. And yeah. I know next year, like you, you have his bird rights. Already. You have his early bird rights. You have his early bird rights already. Um, I'm thinking of like there, the teams that could go after him are like teams that are going to be looking at him at like non-taxpayer mid level. Is what I think. Like those, yeah, like I could, I could see. Te- like I don't know if like Atlanta would splurge like 15 mil to get him. I don't know. Team, I don't know. The team that would worry me about that would be Charlotte, right? Okay, yeah. Because Charlotte, okay, they have Rosier, Graham, Bridges, Washington. They 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 could use a big, like a legit center. I don't, yeah. it, we'll see how it takes down the draft because they might be in position to draft like a on Yucca or you know potentially a Wiseman if the coach likes him like that. I mean, if Jordan likes him like that. But they're they, yeah, they're a team that's a possibility. So I don't see them as a possibility to like, like price you guys out of the market though. You know what I mean? That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. So I personally think you, I personally think you, you guys will get him back. I, hopefully, I I agree with you that they should prioritize him, and hopefully they do get him back. I think it's definitely helped. Everything's going on. Cap space is at a premium, especially now. Some of these owners' money might be a little tighter than they expected. And so I think that's going to be beneficial in retaining your own free agents. My thing is, I wonder if I'm more worried about years than dollars, right? Mm, okay. If you if this is a guy who real looks up, he's 25, he wants to get back back on the market at 27. You know, he'll be in the prime of his career, looking for like that last big payday. Only a two year deal for a team that's rebuilding. Like, I don't. That doesn't send the message that he's in it for the long haul, and I would be a little bit concerned about that. Okay. I mean, I I think you're right, because it doesn't, it definitely feels like, all right, well, this isn't the, the like, you know, potential piece of our young core that we, you know, would, would like. Right. I would also say, if you're bringing him in for two years, it doesn't make him an attractive trade trip. Like, if he's genuinely just like, I only want to be here for, like, I, this, this is the deal I want to make. I would say, like, then... My mindset, my mindset shifts from this is a guy who I want to see to be part of my young core to okay, this is a guy who we're gonna help get his value, you know, up to a peak. Because I think I think a lot of people were just starting to kind of catch on to Christian Wood, like myself included, near like the like this. I guess now that like the end of the regular season around that time, and I don't know, maybe bring him in next year at a comfortable number that's two years, so it's not it's not a crazy investment either. Then it's like you know there's teams that would I would say you know like you like comes to trade deadline and suddenly it's like oh well yeah like I could definitely trade him because it's like you get him for the rest of the year of like next year and then you have a whole other year of, of him on the contract as well so it could it yeah. could net you a first round pick just like that no, no I mean and we know Christian Wood had interest around this yeah. year's deadline yeah so like team teams are definitely interested in, in a guy like that and would presumably continue to be as as long as his uh, production stayed the same. So, yeah, okay, I like this. And as far as Galloway goes, like, yeah, everyone's fine with, with Langston coming back. We like Langston. Langston's a cool dude. 
got a good story. We just don't want to pay him $7 million a year. I hear that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see who else wants to. Who we'll see who does want to pay him seven million dollars a year. There you go. I, yeah, that that'd be interesting. I could. I don't. I don't think there'll be many suitors for that yeah. for that price. So, so I personally, bring I personally will come back. Um, yeah. How do you feel about trading Derrick Rose? Uh depends on if they draft a point guard or not, right? Because okay. if you trade Derrick Rose and you don't draft a point guard, now you have no point guards on the roster. You got uh, you got Jordan Bone and you got like Bruce Brown playing point guard again. Um, Brandon Knight's probably not coming back. Um, Jordan McRae is probably not coming back. Uh, Reggie Jackson is like not here anymore. Yeah, like you're you're out of point guards. Yeah, because I mean you're, you're down. And also I guess Boston Bruce, Kyrie Thomas. <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie Thomas is very much not a point guard. <laughs> that is a that is a undersized three and D wing if I've ever seen one. Oh man! Wow. Yes. Okay. So I, I I could see that. But even if you don't draft a point guard, if you just need like a okay, we need a grown up here who's just gonna be able to run an offense. You don't think you can find right. a free agency for cheap? DJ Augustine? Mm, no. Oh, who? Just, just just something like that. If you if you can net, I still think you can net a first round for. Derrick Rose. Yeah, so I, I agree with you in principle, but again, going back to the deadline, what it sounded like was the demand, the Pistons' demands for Derrick Rose were so outlandish that teams were not willing to uh, meet them, and so he was going to stay in Detroit. I see no reason why that would change. He, by all uh, appearances, enjoys it here. He's got a relationship with Arn Tellum that he greatly values. Um, he gets to, like, Dwayne Casey loves him, so, like, if if that continues to be a thing, like that's that's probably gonna uh, continue as well, and so yeah, I I would be in favor of it just because it like that helps facilitate a rebuild, right? Like it's very difficult to uh, it's di- very difficult to accentuate the development of a lot of players on the floor simultaneously when Derrick Rose has like a thirty percent usage rate and and offers a lot of self creation that's not that doesn't necessarily, like, turn into anything for other guys. And so, like, I agree with you that Derrick Rose is perhaps not the best keep for a rebuilding team, but I don't know how realistic that is. Okay. So, like, if so, like, it's, so, like, if it's draft day and the Lakers call you and just offer you the 28th pick, because I think that's what they have, 28th or 27th pick, for Derrick Rose, is that a – do you see that as good value for him? I mean, I might, I would consider that, but I doubt the team does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was one of the things on my list to find trade to Derrick Rose. Cause I think getting him for a first round pick would be like just just great value. Like being able to get him, bring him in, um, just the way he was able to come in and show he could still play, and then being able to turn that to a first round pick. Then that'd be like that's like kind of like the most ideal situation from what you would expect after bringing in Derrick Rose initially. Do you think there's value to be had at the back end of the first round of this draft? I do. I just think it depends on what type of, like, their big board philosophy. Because mm-hmm. from my from my point of view, I don't see this world where all of these, like, big men are being drafted in, like, the late lottery mid-teens. I know, like, NBA, there's still a lot of teams that still value size. 
but you're not going to convince me that like guys like um, Xavier Tillman, uh, Precious Achua, Isaiah Stewart, um, guys guys of that ilk are just going to be like near the mid to top of the draft. I still think NBA teams are still going to value wings and even like kind of like bigger guards. And I think at the bottom of the draft, you could get yourself lucky. Like you could find yourself like maybe someone like Achillean Tilly, who because of, you know, I think the only reason why he's not ranked higher around around most boards is because of the injury history. And that can be scary. But in terms of skill and production, like that did good value at the end of the draft. So you're talking like, you know, mid to late 20s, um, Udoka Azabuki, a legit seven foot, seven, seven wingspan. Can't hit free throws to save his life. Doesn't have any perimeter game, but he's a legitimate defender who turned himself into someone that can, you know, he can, he could guard, he could guard off the ice side, off the drop side. He can hedge and recover really well. He can test well. Just a guy who like you can just rely on for you know fifteen and twenty five minutes a game. If that's what you're looking for, like like a big, and I think also you can have. You know, like these like third third guards if you want Cassius Cassius Stanley from Michigan State, Devin Dotson from Kansas, um, Skylar Mays from LSU. Um, those are also guys, even a guy like Malachi Flynn. I think all of those guys are gonna be you know, like they're veterans, they're guys that have projectable NBA skills and though they don't have like the high upside of like a star, it's someone that, you know, like in two or three years could be like pretty, pretty uh, valuable sixth and seventh men. So I do think there's value personally. Okay. Because, like, the, what you don't want to do is trade Derrick Rose for, um, think of a name, like Scala BCA, right? The the yeah, pick yeah. that ends up being Scala BCA. Yeah. Or, or Deonta David, right? A guy near and dear to my heart as a Michigan State Spartan. But, uh, yeah, I think that if you identify a target in mind, with that late first round pick, early second round pick, something like that, uh, I think that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, there are a lot of teams at the back half of the first round, especially that have a lot of picks and don't really have the time or space to spend time like developing these guys. Oh, yeah, your Celtics one, are, yes. are one of them. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing I want less. There is I would. There's nothing I want less than to see four rookies coming in. Team. Not even like honestly, I only, I only want one, and that's pushing it personally. And so, yeah, have you have three first eight rounds. kids on the roster, like already. And, and this is a team that's supposed to be trying to compete for a championship. It doesn't make any sense. Our roster is literally like a process roster, except for Kevin Gordon Hayward. It's all kids. It's ridiculous. I don't want. I don't want any more kids. We're done. We're done. <laughs> Rent's too high. So who's where's the consolidation trade then? So okay, so just for your listeners, the Celtics have I believe the 17th, uh, 26th, and the 30th pick, and then they also have the 46th pick in the second round. So there's not a lot of people that I would actually move up for, which makes all this weird. I would consider maybe trading them for actual player, like if the like if Chicago wanted like. 17, 26, and, like, Romeo Langford for Wendell Carter Jr., I would take that. If the Kings wanted uh, to trade, if we wanted to give the Kings 26, 30, and some roster pieces and get uh, 
Nemanja Bedelica. I'd be interested in that. So basically, I think I would I would want to consolidate to get like a vet kind of role guy who can fit into our roster right now. Because I'm not I'm not I'm not looking for any more projects or kids at this time. Okay, now that makes sense because like you like you have to figure out what to do with Simi Ojale this off season. Javante Green was a guy who looked good every time I saw him. I don't know how good he actually was, but he looked good every time I saw him. You picked up, like, two shoot-first point guards in Tremont Waters and Carson Edwards. Both of those guys looked uh, looked fun enough in uh, in Maine. So, like, you, yeah, there's a lot of consolidation that needs to occur up and down that roster. Yeah, and, I mean, it was cute at first, but then Tatum got, like, very, very good. So now it's time to put that fun stuff away and try to win now. Yes, definitely. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB games on, you might think there's nothing to bet on, and you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they bring Vegas to you. You missed the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. You use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. That's Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Speaking of solutions, guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. You visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. You just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Q.com, and you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, so let's go. What's next on the list then? Where do where do you have them? So we got we we got rid of Dwayne Casey. We re-signed yeah. Christian Wood and Langston Galloway. Mm-hmm. We maybe thought about trading Derrick Rose really hard, but the owner shook his head no. And was like, we need to sell some tickets, and we were like, okay. What yeah. was next on the list? So obviously, I think I think your needs going into free agency slash the draft are one getting some front court depth, unless you have. Unless you hold a thumb maker in a higher regard than I do, I do and <laughs> and, and maybe find and maybe find some shooting help. So I was trying to look at like at, at least go first like vets and stuff like that you can find a free agency. And I and I you know I saw some names around. There's like the Nerlens Noel, there's Mac Biombo, Ian Mahini, Mason Mason Plumlee, and if he doesn't get too expensive, Aaron Baines in terms of front court depth. And if you want to find some shooting help, I was looking at names maybe like at each one more, uh, Marco Bellinelli, Justin Holiday, or even uh, Furkan Korkmaz. So obviously not, not, not high level names, not people that are you know going to come and turn into JJ Redick, but just people that could that, that are competent at it, 
and people that can you can kind of rely on a little bit to do the one specific skill that they that they're getting paid for. Okay, I've thought a bunch about Nerlens Noel, um, just because his efficiency numbers this season are insane. But how much of that is due to playing next to Chris Paul and SGA is a big concern of mine. And so, like, if you know you take him out of that environment, how good we would he continue to be? I don't know. But Nerlens Noel is definitely a guy. I have my eye on. And then for all as all, as all the shooting guards you listed for, for perimeter shooting, it's like that's, you know, that's why you bring back Langston Galloway, right? Like that's, yeah. so I, I get where you're coming from. Okay, yeah. so what do we do in the draft though, Alex? Like that that's really what I wanted to talk about. Like okay. the Pistons are probably going to have a top five pick. We haven't done the lottery yet. We don't know when we're going to do the lottery. Who knows when that's going to happen. But, uh, Right now, they have, you know, needs on the wing, needs in the backcourt uh, as part of, like, a long-term strategy. You know, you have two point guards at the top of your draft board in LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes at one and two. Uh, what was the what was the deciding line for you between those two guys? Between Killian Hayes? Yeah, one and, two. Okay, and so Ball. one, are you saying those are your two top people on your board, just to clarify? So the two top people on my board are Killian yeah. and Anthony Edwards. Okay, okay. Um, and LaMelo is three. So, like, you know, you're not that far behind Anthony Edwards, but he's behind him. I guess. So this is going to be a little crazy for you. For the Pistons, number one on my actual board, and granted, I just did a mock draft where I did the, where I did the Tankathon Sim Lottery. You guys were the first pick on, on the Sim Lottery, and I gave you guys LaMelo Ball. He's not who I have number one on my board for you guys. Number okay. one on my board for the, for the Detroit Pistons, is Isaac Okoro. Okay. All right. I am intrigued. But why? Which, okay. So, one, um, I don't think – I do think that for the Pistons, for one, I do think that you guys should be interested in trading back. And I say this a lot for a lot of these teams to exploit the Knicks. Because I have a very big fan of the Knicks and I can have a top five pick. I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I'm de- like I know for a fact the Knicks are not gonna have a top five pick, and I can almost guarantee you they're gonna fall in love with one of either Cole Anthony, Obi Toppin, or James Wiseman. So if I if I was in, if I was the Pistons or whatever team ends up in this range, and I got pick like in between three to five, and the Knicks had seven, and they also have um their 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 late first, and they also have the thirty eighth pick in this draft. I would start setting off feelings like, oh, the Knicks are really high on Cole Anthony. I'd be like, oh, Pistons, very interested in Cole Anthony. Think he's a future franchise point guard. I would do that the whole time and then trade back with them. Trade back. Like, get – I feel like in this draft, especially, like, I, I would not feel comfortable having the number one pick. It feels weird. Yeah. I don't feel like anyone is, like, number one pick worthy, if that makes sense. I would rather trade back because I feel like in, like, the meat of the lottery – it's where you kind of, like, pick somewhere where, like, you feel comfortable. Like, okay, like, I understand what I'm getting. And it's just, I don't feel comfortable picking, like, Lamelo Ball number one. I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable picking Anthony Edwards number one. And I also think, like, the like the actual, like, discrepancy between them and a the guy that's maybe projected between, like, the five to eight range is not very big. So that's why I have Isaac Pro number one. So I think you guys are a logical trade back person. Uh, partner. All right. 
So I am still a little scarred from the Stanley Johnson experience. And I'm so it, is, it, is, it has been difficult for me to fully embrace Isaac Coro. I think I have him uh, somewhere in like the 11-12 neighborhood okay. on my Pistons okay. board right now. Okay, um, okay. If they trade it back, like I, don't, I agree, that's not a bad target. If they trade it back to the Knicks in order for the Knicks to move up and grab Cole Anthony, that would be hilarious to me. I would enjoy that very much. Um, but if the Pistons got the number one pick, you, you gave them LaMelo. Uh, why? I get, if I, if, if I you're not really uh, comfortable talking, if you're not really with, if you're not really comfortable with any of the dudes at the top of this draft, why did you choose LaMelo, I guess? I just love because overall for me, just like IQ, just kind of wins out. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of good passes in this draft. You can you know bring up Killian Hayes. You can bring up uh, Tyree Talliburton to a way lower down the board. You can talk about Xavier Tillman and Killian Tilly. I just think Lamelo is the only one who like legitimately creates things that weren't there. A lot of these guys who are good passes in this draft can see things that are there and make quick decisions. Lamelo is the one that actually creates passing lanes and creates opportunities that were not there before. And I think you just kind of bring him in. Like, I think Detroit's like a really good place for certain prospects because you can just kind of let them be versatile and try, try them on a bunch of different things and play him next to Derrick Rose since we decided he's still on the team and see what's going on there. Play him at the one where then see what's going on there. And you don't necessarily have to put him in a situation where, like, if he was in Golden State, it would basically be like, your value to us is, at the end of the day, can you hit open three-pointers or not? And that's his big weakness. You can let him kind of work his way up to kind of correcting that. And I think once you have a guy that, like, feels comfortable in his jump shot and in his handles, he can very easily be the best player in the draft. It's just, you know, that type of stuff scares me. Like, if he can actually pull that up, then it's not necessarily easy. You know, like, it's not easy to turn yourself into, like, a legitimate, like, shooter and turn yourself into, like, a guy who's suddenly, like, finishing at the rim at a high level, right? So that's stuff that scares me, but I, I just also feel like, okay, if he doesn't get all of that stuff all the way and he just kind of corrects some of the stuff but not necessarily fully, I still see him as a player that has positive value, simply because of, like, just how smart he is as a basketball player. So ultimately, that's why I put him as number one. Okay. Okay. So... I I like LaMelo a lot. The concern I have a lot for in regards to LaMelo just comes on the defensive side of the floor, right? Like I'm watching film of LaMelo trying to get a better sense of this guy. There's a, you know, there's a pick and roll happening on the left side of the floor. He's the low guy on the right side of the floor and he's like wiping his shoes. It's like can can you can you pay attention to the play? Por favor, is that is that too much to ask? You know, he We've seen his, uh, like, he has a lot of length and he has a great size for a guard, um, but he doesn't really, like, leverage that defensively. He gambles a lot, and he could get away with that gambling if he, even if he weren't 6'7", some of the time. But other times, like, he's taking himself out of plays and, like, letting other teams kind of walk into the paint for free. Or you have times where... You know, he's getting he's making he's getting contact made on the screen and he's just like out of the play now. Like he's gone. Like he went back to Lithuania. And like for me at least, it's really difficult to imagine a situation in which uh a coach like Dwayne Casey 
if Dwayne Casey is still in the coach of the Pistons, doesn't see all that stuff and is like, you are not playing that much. Like we are, it's like we are going to work on that stuff in practice. That that is how you are going to develop. It's like when <laughs> when I have confidence that you know you won't be a trash fire defensively. It's like then we will talk about some NBA court time. And so I don't, I honestly don't know if Lamelo is. <laughs> If everything stays in place and Dwayne Casey's still the coach and the rebuilding era is still going on as planned, I honestly don't know if Lamelo is the best fit in Detroit. Oh my God, I, I'm just thinking now about the Lavar Dwayne Casey dispute. That would definitely oh Lord. happen. Just like oh a barbershop showdown. <laughs> you know what? I completely didn't think about that. That point, along with the fact that he is atrocious defensively, has changed my mind. I changed my mind. Lamelo would should not have been the number one pick. Absolutely not. I just thought about how bad of a fit that that could be and how disastrous that relationship could be. See, do you see why I try to fire Dwayne Casey? Look at this. If you had a better coach that could just deal with it, not the same thing, or if you had Jerry Stackhouse, I'm probably not going to have Jerry Stackhouse. Like, that Stackhouse, just, Stackhouse <laughs> would just fight Lavar, and then that would be bad. <laughs> but like, if you have a problem since playing time, you can always come down to Auburn Hill. <laughs> And talk right. about it. We can talk about it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, just Jerry Stackhouse finishing the game and taking off his suit to head back to have a conversation <laughs> with LeVar Ball. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. See, like, that's but, the other uh, thing, right? Like, you, yeah. you wonder if LaMelo would even want to come to Detroit. Like, to be fair, like, you know, Lonzo gave up a lot of that stuff uh, early on in his career. You figure Lamelo's going to be his own dude as well. Lavar has been quiet, and I don't mean that in a like patronizing way, just as an observation. Like we have not heard a lot from Lavar Ball lately, and so you 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 know maybe that's an, a bit of an overblown concern, right? But I know yeah, for yeah. for the people of Detroit, you know. People wouldn't like that. Fans would not like that. No, not at all. Absolutely, like mm-mm. none of these, none of these real NBA cities that you know they would not yeah. take kindly to that at all. Nah, but yeah, like all. to to get back to Lamelo, I do agree with defensive woes. I would like to. He has the he, he has the measurements to be a good defender, but we also have seen plenty of examples where guys with the measurements don't necessarily live up to that, and he also needs to probably improve on his frame which is another thing where people kind of point to the fact that he doesn't necessarily have, like, that broader shoulder, so you wonder, like, how much weight he can get up and all that, which is why, I think, to my point, which is why I, didn't, I never really feel comfortable with any of these normal picks, because then if you look at a guy like Killian Hayes, just to kind of, like, flip this over a little bit, I like that Killian, Faye, Killian Hayes has the self-creation bit by himself, right? He's a guy that can already come in and kind of, like, hit step-back threes, and he has a guy that can be – it's a really good passer already and probably has room to become an even better one. Um, his defensive stuff doesn't bother me as much as Melo because at least, like, I see more consistency there. I also don't think either of them very ha- have high, like, upside as defenders. And I would say the one that also that really bothers me about Killian Hayes is that it's one thing to not use your offhand but it bothers the hell out of me that he picks up his dribble every time. Because, like, 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 there's plenty of guys who can't finish well with their offhand, but still use it, and they still have moves that they go to. But with Killian Hayes, it's like whenever he faces that ball pressure with his offhand, 
it just it's just an immediate pickup, immediate all the time, and that to me is like a little concerning because like I feel like I feel like he has better handles than that, but it's like he just does not handle pressure well going to his offhand, and that's like that's that that's not very hard to scheme for at all. Yeah. No, and there were definitely times when teams were overplaying him. Like even in Germany, teams are overplaying him to the left, like top locking him coming off to his left, and you're like, "Hmm, that's interesting." Um, it's definitely noticeable. Um, I like Killian a lot more than Lamelo, but I wrote a whole thing about Killian. I don't really. You can just read that. I'm not gonna go into it. Now you, I'm talking to the audience now. The audience, yeah. you can just can just go read that. <laughs> oh, Detroit Bad Boys. Um, but yeah, so so we did Lamelo. Uh, you can read my piece on Killian Hayes. Let's talk a little bit about Isaac Okoro. What makes Isaac Okoro the guy worth picking up when you trade back over, say, like Devin Vassell, right? Okay, okay, okay. So one right off the bat, and I guess this goes to Vassell as well. Dwayne Casey's gonna love him because he's a defender, like legit. I think he can come into the NBA right now and guard two to four pretty tangibly Okoro. I think if he lost a little bit of weight, which sounds weird because he's 6'8", 225 and built pretty powerfully, um, I do think maybe he should drop weight just to get a little bit more leaner. He was leaner in high school and he was way more bouncier. So mm-hmm. I would think maybe like he'd be someone that, in terms of like athletically, would peak be best at something like 220, um, 219 or something like that. And if you and if you're wondering why I'm being so specific about weight, read Andre Iguodala's book and listen to him talk about how different he's played between 212 and 217. It's a real it's a real thing for players, and I think someone like Okoro, if you can kind of like dial that back, because he went from 205 his senior year in high school to 225 in Auburn, which is just like. Corey, like, like just that time he didn't like, get it. He didn't grow any, right? Like he didn't gain, no. gain twenty pounds. Just gain twenty pounds. Oh, as if, yeah. as if, as if they just like were also hoping he'd play for the football team as well. Like <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> it's crazy, but yes. <laughs> to get back, like he's for sure going to be a defender, which is a coach's dream. Like he's going to come in, be able to guard the perimeter. Like he's a smart team defender. He has potential to be like a real like lockdown defender. He does really well at the point of attack, right? Um, offensively, I like I like the foundation he has at the handle. It's not super tight, but there's like a foundation where he he could surprise like a little bit like a, a left and right. He gets the rim really well. He finishes at the rim really well, and he's actually like in the 90s percentile as an isolation scorer, which is interesting. The only issue, and I guess you know, it's it's not a it's not it's nothing to be. The real issue is that he cannot hit spot up jumpers to save his life, and like he was, he's super bad at hitting shooting spot up threes. Um, a little bit even off the dribble, like he has the potential to make off the dribble type of stuff, but like even from three, it's not well. From, the, from some of the mid range, it's not that great. So, so that'd be a thing. But I think when you look at it in totality, it's like you have this defender that's good. So off the bat, Casey's Casey's going to put him on the floor. Or at least give him mm-hmm. a chance because he's going to defend off the bat. And now when you're on a team like Detroit, which is why I, I made that thing, like there's certain teams that are, that are really good fits. I think he's a super good fit in Detroit because they're going to allow him to like actually be able to handle the ball a little bit, like run some pick and rolls, do some DHOs, like let's see some things 
Um, he's, he's also a good post scorer, which, you know, you're not going to run consistent post-ups for him, but if you get a switch, you know, on when teams try to get cute and put, like, their small guards on him when he's facing the floor, that's a tool because he, he can also pass out of there as well, too. But basically, like, the, they're a team that's going to be able to let him do stuff and feel comfortable because I just think that's the main thing for him, like, getting experience and comfortability doing a lot of things. And as that time happens, like, I think his offensive game will get better because he's still super young right now. So I just feel like in terms of floor, at worst, he's still going to be, like, a really high-level defender that you'll be able to play, that can do some, you know, like, play creating a little bit and finishing out the rim, slashing ability, the type of stuff that, you know, like, that can still work on a team, like, especially if you have other playmakers. And if he hits, like, you're talking about a guy that becomes, like, you know, like, worthy of, like, the Jimmy Butler type of uh, upside, like, legitimately. So I just think that balance of um, Florida upside versus, like, fit and potential to reach upside with your with the specific team makes him number one on my personal Detroit Pistons board. Okay. Okay. I... I have thought I have also thought about like the Jimmy Butler comparison, uh, especially because Jimmy was like a late bloomer, uh, a guy who um, like didn't really make it on the scene in the NBA until his like second or third year, and played like you know three years in college on it on top of that. And so you, if if a lot of guys followed the development path of Jimmy Butler, like the league would be a better place. So that doesn't always happen, so that is a concern. But you want to bet on guys with the mentality and drive that, like, Jimmy Butler displays. And I think you do see some of that in Okoro, right? You do see that defensively. It takes it takes a lot to be able to defend guys on and off the ball the way Okoro did. Um, you You like the isolation scoring, even if that's something he's probably not going to get a chance to do initially at the NBA level because it shows like a level of comfort with ball handling and attacking that probably leads itself to like operating out of the pick and roll and out of like some early offense, like DHL stuff. So like that, that stuff is good. The shot, like you, you brought it up and the shot is the main question. And you know, if you can't hit catch and shoot jumpers, they're never going to let you try like pull up jumpers off the dribble in like the course of an NBA offense anyway. And so you have to kind of build that floor before you can even like think about advancing to a level of like being a, a shot creator off the dribble. And that's something he hasn't shown yet. From what I can tell, there's nothing mechanically wrong with Okoro's jumper. It just doesn't go in. And so I'm I'm wondering if, you know, with NBA coaching with uh, an NBA shooting coach, you know, you know, maybe with an NBA strength and conditioning program that doesn't make him add 20 pounds in three months, uh, there could be a chance for him to, you know, get more used to his body and find a rhythm, and and find a and find a way to shoot like you know 35% from three. You know, and that's the other thing, right? Like Jimmy Butler doesn't shoot like 40% from three. Jimmy Butler is a relatively, you know. He's a relatively average three-point shooter, but he's so dang good at everything on offense. Career career 33.3% shooter. Currently shooting it at 24.8% this year. 
Jimmy but Butler. he's so good at everything else <laughs> that it works. Yeah, and I think Jimmy, a big thing, Jimmy was never a sniper. Yeah, no, no, no. But one thing he does do well, to your point, is everything else, which includes also getting to the line at a really high clip. He gets to the line about nine times a game. A curl was about like four point seven, which um, is pretty good actually. Which is weird because I think when people talk about like the ability to draw free throws, like people look at like the Harden, um, the Giannis, the Embiid's, the Trey Youngs which his free throw rate is crazy. And they think, like, that's, like, the status of being elite. And that is elite. But if you actually, like, average out, like, the top 10% uh, of free throw shooters, like, their attempts, they actually average out to about 4.7 legitimately. And I know that because I did the research on that, and this is a shameless plug from for that piece because I don't think enough people saw that. I want to, like, talk no, about free throws. Like, it's actually I, I read that piece. That was the Tatum piece, right? Uh, yeah, like, I tied into Tatum because of, that was, like, a thing that people were talking about with his development in terms of, like, free throw shooting. But I, I say all that to say, uh, I think O'Curl actually does get to the line a pretty fair amount, which, you know, helps his case for his, like, upper upside. Um, I think the free throw percentage is, like, a little noisy because I think um, right now, like, it's 3.2 free throws made and, like, 4.7 attempts, which gives it, like, 6 or 7%. But if that was, like, 3.3, it'd be 70%. Then suddenly people are like, all right, well, well he's, he's a pretty good free throw shooter. But I know it's a little bit noisy. I think he's obviously, like, he could be better. But I still think he's a solid free throw shooter. And the fact that he's a solid free throw shooter, he could finish out the rim uh, really well, maybe gives you some hope that he at least has touch and that hopefully, even if, like, he just hovers around league average and he's able to round out the rest of his game, in terms of like the mid post and stuff like that, and that the finishing actually translates, and then like you're looking at a really good player. And I think if yeah. some of that stuff doesn't really translate, like doesn't translate all the way, and maybe come halfway, like you could also like his ups- his one of his comps could easily be like an Andre Iguodala type as well, which maybe like he's not as good as Iguodala at everything, but like if you're the, if you're if you get to around that area, you're still a pretty valuable piece on a team, even if you never turn into, like, that superstar as well. Actually, I was I was looking this up, I don't know, the other day. You know who his numbers are, you know, pretty comparable to his college numbers? Who? Your boy Jalen Brown. Oh, that's another good one. That's actually a pretty decent call. Mm-hmm. You know, Jalen was a guy who needed time to figure out his catch-and-shoot stuff. And if I'm remembering correctly, he's still kind of, like, only like a good catch and shoot player from the corners, and not so much from from everywhere else. No, top, so guy, above above the break, not good. You're right. Okay, yeah, but as a guy who does enough other stuff on offense and has kind of added that floor of being a good catch and shoot guy from the corners, and that that has done that's like you know he's done well for himself offensively, and yeah. used his his ability defensively to become like a really well rounded player. And he's he, curl is already is taller than Jalen Brown now at six eight it was was the last measurement I saw and at two twenty five he's about as big as Jalen Brown already yeah so I mean and I think he comes in as a better passer just has way better vision already and comes in with with a tighter handle as well so I think the ability to him of him turning is like a self creator. If you just bal- if you just measured him versus Jalen Brown, 
like from when he was drafted versus Okora right now, and you ask yourself which guy would end up being a better self creator, I think most people would side with Okoro just based on his body of work at Auburn. Okay. Yeah. All right, Alex. You tweeted a couple of days ago something that I found really interesting and I wanted to ask you about. You tweeted, okay. believe in prospects who know how to play basketball. Now, I'm not going to ask you who you weren't talking about, but who who are some prospects in this year's draft that you believe know how to play basketball? Okay. Um, for one, I think LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes know how to play basketball. I question, you know, like some of their – they all have minuses, but I think at the end of the day, they know how to play basketball. Um, I think a guy like Kira Lewis, who's now starting to shoot up draft boards, who just knows how to play basketball. And considering his age, it's crazy that he's already not in the top five. I'll probably have him in the top five by the end of this. Well, it's not uh, his age that's keeping him out of the top five. It's his size, right? He's only six foot, if that. He, he's measured so far. The last time I met, he was measured was 6'3", with a 6'5 wingspan. I, but he's only 165, like, pounds. <laughs> and that's probably 165 soaking wet, to be honest. But it's like at at his age, like he's still only nineteen, and he's already had, he had two years of college under his belt. You would think a team would like, all right, you know, just come in here, do 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 like a weight training program, like like get yourself up to like one eighty, one eighty five by the by next year. He's only like twenty years old. That'd be good. But I digress. Um, I like some of the bigs. I've I've mentioned them already a couple of times. Specifically though, Xavier Tillman, who's just like. You know him. You guys are you guys are very familiar. I'm sure your listeners are kind of familiar with uh, Xavier Tillman from Michigan State a little bit, but I think he's probably the best passing big in this draft. Um, I think he's one of the best defenders in terms of just his ability to essentially be involved in switches, um, icing, dropping, hedging, and recovering. He also played in a division where he was constantly going up against legitimate legitimate big men, constantly and played the five. Even at six eight, battled them, kept them out of the post, like defend them super well, and he's just a guy that like if he could just figure out the three pointer, just figure it out, like he could potentially be like a super valuable um, five that could actually you know not have to be taken out at the end of games. Um, and Killian Tilly is kind of the same thing, except Tilly Tilly's a really good passer. His shooting is actually there, which is a difference, and he's actually seven foot. Um, not as not as not as good as a post defender as Xavier Tillman, but also has shown like the ability to guard and space and stuff like that. And he's a guy that's you know getting like second round, late first round grades, and um, you know this list is long, but guys that you know guys that you know you shouldn't be trusting are guys like Jaden McDaniels. For you know if you've watched him play, he's just he has a tantalizing. Physical profile, you see a guy that's like 6'10", 7-foot wingspan, athletic. You, like, you turn on YouTube, you see a couple left to right of beta ways. You think, like, you know, he's the next KD. And then you realize, like, he shoots, like, well, under 40%, can't finish at the rim, gets benched throughout the time, of, like, doesn't have a great attitude, that's still not a fully developed body. And he's just like, you don't trust those guys. Like, you know, so I guess that was my point. It's like, don't necessarily trust, like, these physical measures and, you know, like, get back to just believing in players that have showed you that, like, you know, like, they see the game. They can read the floor. Like, they're guys that if you put them in a state, like, 
in an NBA arena, like tomorrow, like they'll be able to figure it out about like like they would be figured out versus like a kid who just be completely lost. So that was that was really what I was getting at. Because I feel like there's a lot of like older prospects who are being slept on by like really raw younger prospects who you know, by the time they're that prospect age you'd be happy that they're as good as those veteran guys are right now. You know? So that's all No, that's fair. No, I mean the other thing is right, like this being a quote unquote bad draft has people searching for upside in physical measurements in a way that I think uh kind of blinds you to whether or not a prospect is good at basketball. You know, you brought up an excellent example in Jaden McDaniels. There are other guys at there are other guys in this draft that that also applies to where I'm not entirely sure they're good basketball players, but like if you I don't know if you had a combine this year, like those guys would do amazing in the physical testing. Um and if you're swinging for the fences, if you're looking for for home runs, like you, you take one of those guys, and then you realize like the development effort it's going to take to make those guys into not even you know superstars, but into something resembling like usefulness at the NBA level. It's a lot, right? It's hard. You know, the NBA is a really tough league, and you can't take for granted that these guys are going to make you know A, B, and C development steps that will you know put them in position to be role players, put them in position to, to see the floor, even for a team that's going to be, you know, as bad as the Pistons are. Yeah, but then I guess what makes the draft hard is that there's guys like Aniko Mannion who have the, probably the IQ, the field to be able to be an NBA player, but then just, like, just literally just, like, not, they don't have the measurements or, like, the athletic abilities that to even probably compete. <laughs> to be a, to be like a successful NBA player at all, so I guess that's yeah. kind of that's where you kind of have to find the balance. Yeah, the draft is real tricky. I did have to tell people like stop, like if the Pistons are gonna have a top five pick, like stop bringing up Nico Mannion, like please, like we we can do better for ourselves. We don't have to do this. Yes, please love <laughs> yourselves. <laughs> all right, Alex. Uh, I've had you for almost an hour. It's pretty crazy. You oh you promised me one Lucanard thing. What's the Lucanard thing you you said you were got? Lucanard the baller. I did it. I did a twenty seventeen redraft. Had him at like number six, and people jumped on me, crazy, and just reaffirmed to me that people are so not aware that Lucanard is like legitimate. Like at least offensively speaking, like a very nice all around piece. I know the injuries probably took away some of the shine from this year. But I just think like he's a guy that like I could see like on a even on a even on like a championship team, like he would find a way to have like a legitimate role, and he's someone that I think more more people should be paying attention to as a young up and comer. I I like Luke a bunch. I think uh, it's weird. Like Luke's best role is like with the ball in his hands, but it's always this weird dichotomy. He's one of those guys where you don't know if him having the ball in his hands all the time is worth it despite the fact that he's like really good it's hard but i like it much it's weird because like you would you would think like his role and maybe that's because like he's a white guy that shoots you would think his role would be more like running off of like pin downs and stuff like that and like trying to like work his offense that way but there's very much a lot of like pick and rolls and stuff like that which a lot of a lot of dhos 
Yeah. Yeah, he is he is not JJ Reddick. Like he very much is not JJ Reddick. And if you just like looked at him, people think he's JJ Reddick. I'm like, I don't blame him, but yeah. that's wrong. Yes, because he can actually dribble twice <laughs> without turning the ball over. And he's got, and he's got. He was like, you know, he's leveraging like step backs and stuff. He's figuring some stuff out. I like him. I, had, I like him. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would trade him for like a top ten pick in this year's draft in a heartbeat. But I like him a this lot. year. This year's draft. Well, this year, right? Like you, you put. It's not him. It's mm-hmm. like the future him that you have to pay versus, mm. you know, your ability to build a backcourt of the future or, you know, a, uh, a wing defender and a point guard of the future that you don't have to pay right now. Like, that, that flexibility down the line would be why you would you would look into trading Luke. Like that, that's why Luke was available at the deadline. That's why we had, you know, we had specific teams that he was tied to in trades at the deadline uh, because it, it – doesn't it, it makes sense not it makes sense to keep him, but it makes sense to to trade him in certain scenarios as well. That doesn't change the fact that he's a really good player though. That's the same draft as Tatum. So this year, so you're saying right off the bat, this is, there's not going to be an extension for Luke this offseason. Oh no, that's not happening. Definitely not. No, okay. that's not happening. He wouldn't. He wouldn't take it, and uh, I don't even know if they would offer it. I can't. I honestly cannot remember the last Pistons rookie that took the extension, like, before they hit restricted free agency. Like, even Andre Drummond went to restricted free agency technically, but they were always like, we'll take care of you. The oh, man, okay. it's been a while since they had that with any of their rookies. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only thing I the only thing I have left on my agenda was I was going to run some Blake Griffin trades by you, but... Oh, no, let's get it. Let's get to it. Okay. I'll, okay, so first... Um, First one was uh okay, wait, wait. Was to before the, we get okay. before we get started. Okay. You, if you trade Blake to the Knicks, like I my heart I can't do that to him. Okay, so don't, I don't have any Knicks trades. Okay. Okay. okay, okay I don't cool. I don't even know what a value they would even get back to you. To no, like the Knicks have a lot of big money contracts that go away really quickly and a desire to be good because they're the Knicks. And so, like it, you it fees it's feasible. You can come up with a Blake to the Knicks trade, but like don't don't do that to Blake, right? No, don't I also don't. I also want to tell your listeners: you guys just suffered through Roger Drummond being traded by for a fax machine. So you know, I don't want that bag a bag of beans. <laughs> I, I legit forgot John Henson was on the team for like five games. Like I just. Anyway, yeah. Give me so, <laughs> Blake Griffin, <laughs> Blake Griffin, first trade to the Orlando Magic for Aaron Gordon, Markel Fultz, or either Mo Bamba or Ken Birch. I say Mo Bamba or Ken Birch because it seems like Steve Clifford does not like Mo Bamba, and he really likes Ken Birch. So I don't know. Which one they value more, but I, I assume uh, Orlando's front office would probably want to give you Ken Birch instead. So trade Aaron Gordon, Marco Fultz, Ken Birch, yes or no from Detroit? I would do that, 
I don't know why Orlando would do that, which makes okay. me even more certain that like I would I would do that. Yeah. So I guess okay. So the rationale for Orlando, for Orlando right, like you, it'd be a win now move, is what you think. Like maybe okay. it's a trade deadline move. Um, the first half of the season, Blake is healthy. He's killing it. He's about to become an all star. And you know they're 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 like teetering around you know making the AC nine seed like they don't want to tank again, and they just say you know what we have Evan Fournier here we have Nikola Vucevic those are our guys and you know let's add in Blake here to give us you know like a legitimate like weapon here and I guess it's just one of those dumb one move now one now moves yeah I mean like in my mind Orlando should be, like, steering into the Gordon-Isaac-Fultz trio. But, like, if they want to trade us two-thirds of that trio, by all means, I will take that. You would think, but Steve Clifford, man, another coach that needs to go. (laughs) Um, Next trade, and and this one's a little bit weird, but I think you'll like it. Blake Griffin's the San Antonio Spurs. Philip Marcus Aldridge and Lonnie Walker. So Lamarcus Aldridge's contract runs out a year before Blake Griffin's does. I'm so glad and you answered the question I had in my head before I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, otherwise, that would make no sense. Like, why? But yeah, right. Like, why? <laughs> so his contract expires earlier, and then you get the real prize is Lonnie Walker, who's a young, you know, like wingish. He showed like he showed the ability to hit some cat and shoes. He has, like, he's, he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, just, you know, a young prospect who I think has had the right mindset in terms of how to approach, like, defense. And he'll try. He'll, he'll be a guy that, that Dwayne Casey will, you know, like, feel comfortable playing. LaMarcus Aldridge is just kind of there to be there and expire sooner than Blake. And you just, you just get a young asset for Blake. You just figure out a way. You get a young asset for Blake Griffin. And then you can tell people, you know, like, more casual fans, you know, we have, Former all-star Lamarcus Aldridge here, who we believe in and can't wait to see him grow. I, I like that. That is like, hey, we acquired, you know, Christian Wood 1.0 in Lamarcus Aldridge. Mm-hmm. And we reunited the 2017 Miami Hurricanes backcourt of Lonnie Walker and Bruce Brown. Oh, perfect. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Okay. Yeah. And like my... That. My other trade was figuring out a way for you guys to work something out with Indiana in which they they would send you guys not Victor Ladebo, because I don't know. I don't I even if the injury history that kind of feels like something that could like be like realistic, like you did like a whatever, but I just think Depot for whatever like he's pushed his name to a level where I think fans still kinda of see him as a superstar. So I, w- I would say like a Miles Turner base contract where you take like Miles Turner and maybe put in like a filler like TJ Warren and potentially they give you guys a pick. This is assuming you know because Blake Griffin doesn't get traded if he's still unhealthy and he doesn't look like himself going into next season. This is assuming that he gets back to being healthy and I assume once he's healthy he's going to be very good because Blake Griffin's very good at basketball. So assuming like they're seeing this Blake Griffin um they know that money is tight. You could potentially argue why if they know money is tight, they take on a contract like Blake Griffin. 
again, like, I don't, that, that part I didn't fully flesh out yet, but I think something like that, like, it gives them a chance to, you know, have, like, another star, like, they're kind of going for it in a way, um, it'd be interesting to see, like, this bonus Griffin, how that would work, I could see, I could see how it works offensively, I don't know how it works defensively at all, but, you know, worth a try, as a, as a playoff team, you're trying to take that next step by bringing in, like, a, another star in the fold and see what happens. Um, I thought one other trade, if you could figure something out with Sacramento, I know Buddy Heal looks like he might be on his way out. You can make the money work and probably be like Buddy Heal. You'd have to wait till I think, next year, though, because I think he's, right now he's still on the one contract. But, like, on oh, his okay. extension, like, that. yeah, like, like on his extension, him plus maybe, like, some filler to get to get to Blake's number, another, another potential target. And, um... Yeah, I don't. I don't want to send Blake to Sacramento, man. I don't want to do that to him. He has. He has a I mean, president like that's, that's Barnes there. there. But like... <laughs> Aaron no, Barnes, Aaron Fox, Raquan Holmes, the King, baby. Oh my God! They, I, De'Aaron Fox is trying to like run everybody up and down the court with Marvin Bagley, and Blake's like, Nah, man, I'm not doing that. How about we play in the half court? Let's let's play a let's play an adult game. Let's actually run some plays here, guys. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Indiana trade would be interesting. Um, that's a lot of guys who need the ball in their hands on offense with Blake Sabonis, Oladipo, and Brogdon. Yeah, that's, like that, that's a lot of guys who need the ball in their hands. Um, Turner has kind of been sidelined in their offense, and he's also a guy who looked better when he had the ball more. So that'd be interesting. I like the long-term fit of Turner and Wood, though. Just like you could play five out. Both uh, Turner's a really good defender. Um, you could you know, interchange those guys, and you, you still have height and versatility at the big positions. I like that, though. But, yeah, that's, that's tricky from uh, from Indiana's perspective. Yeah, you can extend that and turn into a three-team deal, which like it's crazy. In which maybe like another team that wanted Blake Griffin takes him on, and then you get Turner, and then it works that way versus mm-hmm. him just going straight to Indiana. Because outside of the basketball fit, I I just thought about how I wrote a piece on how they're about to how they have no desire to be in the tax, and their owners losing a bunch of money. So I don't think taking on even more money like that would be what they would want. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I read that piece, and I was like, wait, what does Tom Gores do for a living when he's not running the Pistons? <laughs> Corona, man. It's got everybody messed up. You see, oh, man, you see what they did to uh, Fertitta? Oh, he's, got the same, Fertitta. he's got the same interest rate on his loans that I do on my credit card. <laughs> it's like Tim, like, like he tried to put up some fluff piece with, uh, I think, Sam Amick on The Athletic. Tell us about, hey. I have my money's in a lot of places. I have a lot of money. Like I'm good. It's like, man, we just saw you slash all health insurance funds for all your other industry. We know you're not making no money. We know you're leveraged out of your freaking mind. Cut it out, please. Please. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like though? Like, hey, you know what? Like my money is in a lot of places right now. Like I don't have it for you. Like right now, <laughs> but like I promise. Like, I need a week. Oh my God! I know people in the hood of the better credit rating than he does right now. <laughs> crazy out here, scary out here for the boys. 
<laughs> it's scary, man. It's like when so uh when's your restaurant gonna open back up? It's like, oh, that is a uh that's a good question. Uh let me get back to you on that one. So yeah, at least yeah. Uh, at least the Pistons guy makes money in real estate and finance. Yes, there's a few other owners that I'm that I'm thinking about writing for that I'm thinking about writing on, but I don't think I don't think people could take too much business talk because I was like, it took me like four drafts to par that down because I I was using my girl as like the proxy to like, am I talking too businessy or not? And the amount of things you have to like break down and then break break that down and then it's at the end after breaking it down three times realizing you actually just delete it it's too much it's too, yeah. too much yeah too, too much so that's why fertita is like a useful illustration though because like yes he owns he owns a bunch of stuff that people know is not going to be open slash profitable anytime soon <laughs> Like if your stuff is shopping malls, like it's a little bit more difficult for people to understand like why those is like you don't own the land, it's retail, you know, retail sales are down, you can still transfer into the online market, blah 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 blah. But it's like, oh no, he owns some restaurants and like they they ain't open. So it is what it is. Yeah. I'm sure I don't know if they'll trade James Harden or Russell Westbrook, probably not, but I'm sure Eric Gordon is getting out of Oh, Eric Gordon is gone. <laughs> <laughs> He might as well just request a trade now to get in front of it, to be honest. Sure. Oh, my God. I, I don't know how they're going to keep Covington, and they just traded the farm for him. Holy cow. He's out of here, too. But then, if you know, you trade this and this, and then the next logical thing is James Harden starts looking around like, all right, well, you know, where am I going? <laughs> I heard the truck got a lot of cap space, you know. Maybe I should take my talents down to Motown. Oh, man. I don't – I like James Harden. I don't know if I want to watch James Harden for 100 games a year. That does not wow. sound like a fun viewing experience. Wow. I thought you were going to be like, Alex, don't get me hype on that pipe dream, and it went the complete other way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like this, you know, this is Detroit through and through, right? This is defense. Yeah. This is hard work. This is like people just watching James Harden dribble. is like, what is this? I, I don't um, know about this one, though. Do you know how horrible of a watch you have to be for, like, someone who hasn't seen the playoffs and, like, tangible, like, I could actually get out of this first-round series in so long. And the fact that you're an MVP and someone just be like, nah, I don't even know what I'm going to go for him. I, I don't think I can watch you play, man. Nah, I'm going to make like He's going to make, like, $60 million in the final year of that deal. That is true. The, those, are, those are facts that I would not be happy about. <laughs> That's, a lot. That's a lot of money. Oh, what's money? Uh, and how about uh, Russ? Is 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 Russ on a? Yep. yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think those yeah. two might almost take up like a hundred mil at one point, like very close, very close and to like, up like a hundred mil by themselves, just in capital. Like not even like a Golden State hundred mil, where you're like, oh yeah, like we have great memories. This is like a, this is a Houston hundred mil, where it's like, damn, regret. I hate I hate the face I'm seeing in the mirror. Anyway, we just talking now at this point. Alex, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Man, no problem. Let, let the people know where they can find you and they can find your work on social media. Let them know your Patreon. Shout them out. Yeah, right now, um, Patreon, patreon.com slash hoopsmba. I'm trying to do a lot of, like, weird stuff because there's not a lot of basketball, which means talking about basketball in traditional ways just isn't going to cut it. So I'm trying to mix in, like, business and other stuff and, you know, to see where it takes us. So 
feel free to follow. I put a lot of my posts as free posts. So if you can't afford it, it's all good. You'll probably read most of my stuff anyway. If you can support, support. I got something on the Pistons coming up soon. So be there for that at least. That is, that is, it is a, I won't say it's the best $3 I spend every month, but that is a quality $3 I spend every month on your content. I can't compete with the Popeye chicken sandwich, I understand. But, I mean, besides for that, thank no, you. No, they're like, net. Netflix, man, Netflix. That's fourteen dollars a month, and that's been like holding me down during all this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I've got some draft stuff maybe coming out on Detroit Bad Boys in the coming weeks or so. So yeah, just keep an eye on that. That said, this has been Pistons versus Everybody, and uh, we will talk to y'all later. <laughs>